before ourselves, even as our own biology fights against that. Our own survival instincts say, me first, I survive first, you are second at best. The nature of the kingdom of God living within us calls us to flip that, and we remind ourselves that we are called to serve first. Today we're going to look at this same language, the same idea in a, a different context uh, to just continue to get a deeper understanding of the life that Jesus shows, displays, and calls us to. So we have this passage. We don't know. Uh, we don't know where all of the other disciples were at. We don't really even know where James and John were at. Maybe they thought they were doing better. Maybe they thought because in this passage they weren't claiming to be the greatest that that they were they were doing a little bit better than last time. Maybe they thought because they were asking a favor of Jesus, they were asking him to grant them something that that showed more humility. But what we understand by his response is that they must have gotten something wrong in that. Now, what's interesting to me about this passage is that it obviously brings up this conversation that that we've seen for the past five weeks shows up just everywhere in the Bible and especially in the New Testament. But in this passage, it's in a slightly different context. Because in this passage, we're not just talking about what we do on earth, where we exist on earth, our circumstances, our relationship to God. In this passage, we are looking at the coming kingdom, not just the kingdom that is breaking into the world through the church now, but the kingdom to come in the future. We're talking about heaven in this passage. And so James and John come to Jesus, and, and, and they're beginning, we, they must be beginning to, again, we don't know how much, but to some degree, they're beginning to understand this concept that, that on earth Jesus came to serve, and they're beginning to understand this concept of what the ministry of Jesus looks like. They're beginning to understand that he's not coming in power and authority and wealth Jesus is not riding on, on, a, on a beautiful horse. He doesn't have a line of camels behind him. He's not, he's not wearing the nicest clothes. He's not using all of the methods used by people who changed the world in those days. And, and that hasn't really changed today either. The people that we see that have been wearing the same clothes for five or ten days straight are not the people that are shaping the future of the world, right? Those are usually the people we view as probably homeless, probably destitute of little consequence. The way the world works now and the way the world worked then, we glorify, we see the power and the might and the money. It's the people that have influence and power that change the world. And Jesus was nothing like that. He wasn't amassing an army. He wasn't amassing wealth that he could use to influence and to get himself into the circles of people that had the influence. He wasn't trying to to get into the room with with the Roman rulers. and He wasn't trying to see Herod and change Herod's mind on things. He didn't do any of that. So the disciples are witnessing all of this and they're beginning to understand that Jesus on earth is a different type of leader. 
He's a different type of leader. He lives a different sort of life. But what they reveal in this passage is that they don't quite understand how deep the nature of a servant ran in Jesus. They reveal in this passage that that essentially they're saying, look, we we understand, Jesus, that right now we're going to be poor. Right now we're going to go from town to town not knowing where we're going to sleep the next day, right? Foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We get that. We're on board with that. We know we're going to be poor and politically inconsequential now. But in the future, in the future, can we sit at your right and left hand? Can we have those seats of honor and power and prestige? They see it as the service, the humility the adoption of the least as temporary, something that will pass away in the age to come. And so Jesus corrects that. He says, you don't even know what you're asking. And it's an interesting, and the, the verses right after that, it's, it's a whole other sermon of, of just this exchange about drinking the cup and being baptized, and they say they, they're able, and he affirms that, um, But we're not going to get into that today. We go down farther. The ten heard it. They began to be indignant at James and John, which is understandable. So Jesus calls them to him again. He says, come on, sit down. Let's talk it through. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Whoever would be great must be a servant. Whoever would be first must be a slave. And that verse is so interesting to me. Jesus says, look, we're not doing something temporary here. Jesus says, I'm not doing this to accomplish a purpose, right? This isn't a marketing gimmick, this isn't a strategy. This, isn't, this is what we're doing now because this is how we're going to get our foot in the door. It's not anything like that. Jesus is saying, look, this is who I am. And this is what the kingdom looks like. And then in this verse, he says this. He says, whoever would be great must be a servant. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week. I'm going to reiterate it because it's important. It's difficult for us, it's very, very difficult for us in our current day to interpret, to naturally interpret any Bible passage that talks about being a servant. And what I mean by that is I can't stand up here and read you a verse about what it looks like to be a servant and you sit there and think of your servants back home and how they relate to you, right? Does anybody have a servant at home? That's good, because we'd have to call the police. (laughs) We don't get it. It's not a part of our culture. And it's not a part of our culture, because as people who live in the West, we've had 2,000 years of our culture being shaped by Jesus' teachings about being a servant to shape our philosophy of what it means to be a good person. It's expected. It's, it's considered noble in our day. 
for someone who is wealthy and powerful to have respect for the least. It's considered noble in secular culture. Atheists in our culture will say it is noble for the multimillionaire billionaire to know the names of his gardener, to give them good bonuses throughout the year, to let them use his vacation house for a vacation with their family. That's considered noble, almost expected among many people. But that didn't just come out of nowhere. That idea was unheard of 2,000 years ago. That would be absurd. It would be laughable. We hear a story about the CEO who, who sends his, his, his house cleaner's daughter off to college for free, and we applaud that. We respect him more in and out of the church. If a wealthy man in Jesus' day did that, he would be laughed at. He would be considered weak. It wouldn't make any sense. So we have to understand that not even just in the church, our whole culture has been shaped by the teaching of of the New Testament in regards to how we treat those who are lesser than us. For them, that Jewish or not, that was just not the way it worked. If you were a servant, you were a servant. That was your role. That was your place. And, and there was certainly a difference in how they were treated between the Jews and the Gentiles of their, of their day. But not in terms of the respect given. So it's really hard for us to just naturally understand. The closest thing that we have is just people that we hire to do things. And again, if I hire someone to come paint my house, they are in a service profession. They are in a service relationship with me. In our culture, I still have respect for them because they are able to accomplish a task better than I can, right? They do it better than I can. We respect that about them. But at the same time, as they're in a service relationship with us, I get to pick the colors. That I can't say, well, I want my living room to be painted this color. And they say, well, I don't really like that, so I'm going to do a different one, right? We say, no, I'm, I'm paying you to paint my living room. The servant doesn't choose the color of the paint. That's as close as we get. And there were servants that were close to that level of respect in Jesus' day. But there were also different levels of servants and, and bond servants and slaves that had differing degrees of freedom. Uh, there was a difference in how long that servitude would last, uh, whether they chose to enter it willingly. Many would go into a bond-servant relationship for seven years. They would work for seven years. They would, at the end of it, be released with a sum of money to go restart their life. Um, others, that was not the case. But we need to pause for a moment and kind of reset our brains to wrap our minds around it. Now, why that's interesting is in this verse, Jesus says, if you want to be great, be a servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now, the word for servant there is most often uh, used in some of those less restrictive forms of servitude, things that are either volunteer and and like a bond servant, like the seven-year thing, or even things that were you still went home to your own house and then went to serve in someone's household. The word that's used later 
The word that's used at the end of the verse is a more extreme form of servanthood. Now, this word is translated servant often in the New Testament, but it is a stronger word for servitude, which is why in my translation, and probably many of yours, it's translated slave, to give us the nuance that the first word for servant is a milder form of servitude than the second. And that's important because what Jesus says is this. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant. If you want to be first, you must be a slave. And he gives us this almost not, it's not black and white. It's kind of a scale. It varies. He basically says, how great do you want to be in the kingdom? As and, and greatness is this idea of stepping up, right? It's about moving higher. He says, how great do you want to be? How far you want to be at my right and left hand? Here's what you need to do. If you want to get to greatness, you need to humble yourselves below. You need to be a servant. You need to put others first. You need to work for others. You need to look to their needs before your own and he says, and if you, wanna, if you want the extra credit, right? If you want the extra credit, if you want to really go for the top, go even farther. He says, put it a different way. He says, the closer you want to be to me, the more you need to humble yourself. Because ultimately, that's what the request was about, right? Of James and John is, is a, a degree of power and authority, but also just this nearness to Jesus. It said, Jesus, we want to be as close as we can possibly be to what you're doing. We want to be in the room where it happens. We want to hear what is happening. We want to be able to, to lean over and talk to you without anybody else hearing. We want to be close to what you're doing. And he says, you want to be close to me? Stop trying to build yourselves up. Stop trying to climb the ladder. He says, you want to be close to me? Put yourself at the bottom. You want to be close to me? Put yourself at the bottom. We have this idea about heaven I grew, up, I grew up hearing about mansions in heaven, how big our house was going to be. We talked about the whole streets paved with gold thing. And I got to tell you, as a kid who at one point in my life lived in a tiny little mobile home, and the walls were like made out of cardboard, I got mad once and I slammed the door of my room and it like fell off. <laughs> As a kid who lived in that kind of an environment at one point, mansions in heaven sounds pretty great. It's something really nice to look forward to. It's very good motivation to believe. And we won't get into this morning the language that's used to describe heaven in the New Testament. We won't, we won't go into how Big a picture we've been painted of heaven from so few words. 
But the effect of that, because I think many of us probably grew up hearing those things, the effect is that we begin to associate other things that we know about mansions with heaven. We say, oh, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to have a mansion. What is it like to live in a mansion? Well, when you live in a mansion, everybody respects you. You're probably really popular. We think about the people that we know or know of that live in mansions and what their lives are like. We think about movie stars and successful business people and all of these. And so we say, what? Well, those are the type of people that live in mansions. And when you live in a mansion, you don't ever have to worry about anything. You're completely self-sufficient. When you, when you live in a mansion, you don't require anything from anyone. Which that is nothing like heaven. Heaven is not complete independence. It's quite the opposite, actually. Another thing that we think, at least I do, naturally, is, oh, if I lived in a mansion, I would have enough money that I could retire. I wouldn't have to work. I wouldn't have to do dishes. I wouldn't have to do laundry. I wouldn't have to sweep the floors because mansions come with servants. And, you know, 2,000 years ago, those servants, you know, might not have had another choice. In today's world, you would hire servants. They would come and work, and, and maybe you would even pay them double what they can make. Any, maybe you would treat your employees very, very, very well. But even still, in our world, if you can afford a 30,000-square-foot mansion, you can afford to pay somebody to clean it. A mansion is a world where all the people around you exist to serve me. It's just a natural, when we think about our concept of what a mansion is, that's just something that goes with it. Everybody there works for me, answers to me, is responsible for doing what I need. And if I don't feel like cooking dinner that night, I pay them to do it for me. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with having people who work for you. When we lived in Vermont, we both worked nearly full time and we had someone that cleaned our house because we just didn't have time to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that's our concept, our fantasy of what heaven looks like, we're missing the point right along with James and John. Because serving others is not a strategy we use for a period of time until we get what we want or what we're looking for. It's not something that we employ as a tactic until something happens, something is realized, until the kingdom of God expands enough and then all of those Christians who got in on the ground floor get to be in charge and every, everyone does everything for them. Jesus says, look, says, look, service doesn't get you into heaven. Service, in greater degrees, doesn't get you a better seat in heaven. His service is heaven. He doesn't say those words. It's my interpretation. But that's, that's what I see him saying. He said, look, it's not... 
serve others. And the more you serve others in this life, the more you get to tell other people what to do in the resurrection. It's not the more people you help now, the more people I will give to help you in the coming kingdom. He says, this is just what the kingdom looks like. I came to serve, that is who I am. You want to be near me, wrap a towel around your waist, get on the floor, and start washing feet. We all have, we all have instincts, things that we naturally gravitate to, things that are just our constant normal, right? We all have things that are normal. We know the law, right? An object in motion stays in motion. We have the, this is what we do unless we choose to do something differently. And maybe you've had times in your life where you try to establish a new way of being. Maybe it's something like the way you eat and your diet, and you say, this is my normal, this is, my, this is what I gravitate towards, this is the type of food that I just eat without thinking about it, and I'm going to try and shift that. What Jesus is saying here is that the life of the Christian should be one where service isn't something that you have to turn on. The life of, of, of the Christian is not one where you have to begin or continue to remind yourself to put others first. That service to others isn't something we do when it's the appropriate time or when we think to or when God specifically calls us to. It's the thing that we do just as our default, as our baseline. It's who we are. who we are. And that's what this is all about. Is that as Christians, as a church, we come together. And if there's one thing you know, need to know about us and about what we do, we serve others. We put others' needs before our own. A question that, I didn't get this question but I imagined I would get this question, is, all right, if we serve first, what do we do second? I've found that people ask preachers questions way less often, first of all, than I thought they did based on what other preachers say, <laughs> and also less often than we would prefer. Because I hear preachers often say, a lot of people ask me, and I've discovered that as preachers, that usually means like two. <laughs> and I always imagined it would be like 30. So we often have to imagine and figure out your questions when you don't ask us. A question that I imagine you asking me after last week's sermon was, if we serve first, what do we do second? And the answer is either it doesn't matter or everything. This is where we start. This is just, it's where we live 
No matter what God is calling us to do, no matter what God is calling us to do, we serve first. In big things, in little things, if I'm meeting new people, I try to find opportunities to do this. And like we talked about last week, it can be little things. My wife, who I'd like to note for my kids, only one of, all, all four of my kids are in church today, only Haley is here, I'd like to note that your mom gave more illustrations using the kids in our family in one worship service than I've done in like the past five months preaching. So, that's, that's true, I just, just for the record, I don't, I use my kids as sermon illustrations less than my wife does. But that same thing, I talked about that idea that she talked about of just being at the table with the kids and it's been a long day and everyone's tired and we need to hurry up and get dinner eaten so we can move on to the next thing and the next thing and the baths and the getting dressed and go to bed so they can fall asleep and they're not cranky in the morning and you get tired, you get anxious. And those are the moments where I will just, as much as I want them to just do what they're supposed to do, I look for opportunities to serve my kids. Whether that's helping them eat or getting them more food or getting them something to drink or whatever, whatever it is that God puts in front of me to do to remind myself where I stand in the kingdom, which is at the bottom. And it doesn't mean I let my kids tell me what to do or be disrespectful or anything like that because that's not serving them either, but but I put them first. If I'm hungry, if I just want to sit and eat while the food is still warm, I still get up and I put them first. So it's not just about now. Not just about this life, not just about this year, this week, or even this moment. And we as a church, not here necessarily just we as Christians around the world often show our hypocrisy when we show that our service was only good to receive something back. When we serve others and then try to get them to support us or do something or listen to something. not serve first to get it over with and move on to something else. It's serve first because that is the foundation on which everything we do is built.